Well, welcome to the Future of Education. I'm Michael Horn. Looking forward to today's conversation because it's an area that I've become incredibly interested in really over the last several years since I wrote Choosing College and realized far too many students who are moving through the K-12 education system, who are going to college, who are trying to figure out their careers, didn't really have a sense of what possible careers were out there. Where were their aptitudes? What might speak to them? How would they figure out what was out there? And then even network uh, and start to discover where their passions might take them. U-Science really helps kick off that process in meaningful ways uh, with students. And I'm just really excited to learn from the founder and CEO, uh, Edson Barton, who I will bring up to the main stage now. Edson, it's good to see you. Thanks for being here today. Yeah, thanks, Michael. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, and so I, I'm excited to have this conversation and learn more. I've been hearing about what you all do. Um, and for those who are watching, tuning in on the various uh, channels that we broadcast to, feel free to ask your own questions as well. I'm coming at this from a, a lot of uh, from a real place of curiosity of trying to understand more how this how the assessments and the tools that you've built really work. But before we go there, just tell us a little bit about your own background and how you got into uh, this line of work, how you started at uh, UScience to begin with. Yeah, I think, you know, like a lot of entrepreneurs, you kind of find a passion and, and where where you feel like you're needed in the world. And early on, I was one of those students uh, in high school. So speaking about high school and uh, and lower grades where I, I knew that I had the smarts to do what I needed to do. I knew that uh, I, I love to learn. But I was one of those students that either earned A's or D's, depending on not just the subject, but whether or not I felt engaged in education. And so I know that I wasted a lot of time in high school because I just didn't pay attention. And as I got older, I, I you know, and thinking, is this just me or is this a larger issue? And coming to realize that, no, this is it's not just me. This is a larger issue of individuals who have so much to give to the world, which I think everybody does. I don't think there's one person out there that doesn't have a tremendous amount to give, yet they don't know how to go about delivering that good to the rest of the world. They, they're a little bit lost. And, and education too often for our students, there's some interesting surveys that have come out in the last few years about what do they think is education? And so often education is the institution, the school itself, the brick and mortar, you know, button seat kind of thing, rather than the learning experience about gathering information and disseminating that and, and really making that a part of your life. And, and so as I started to realize this, it became just, uh, just deep in my, in my soul of, I wanted to figure out how to help individuals whoever they may be, whether they were academically inclined or not, find passion in education and find passion in their eventual career. And so that's that's kind of how I came to this place is just it's it's a part of me. It's been it's been there since a, a young age of trying to want to figure out this this uh, aspect of human nature and how can we make it better? No, it makes a lot of sense. It, it echoes deeply with me because I feel like my own personal mission or calling at this point is to help people build their passions and then realize their full human potential. And to your point, that takes a number of different pathways, right? It's not just the 
uh, synonymous with education or academic pathway that is most obviously presented to us, nor is it the one that is sort of introduced to you just by what your parents do, what, you know, I, I, I grew up inside the Beltway, and so I only knew politicians and lawyers. I didn't know that there <laughs> were other careers uh, possible. So to to totally resonates. I, so tell us what U-Science actually is and the solution uh, that you built itself to help young people with this journey. Yeah, it's kind of a multifaceted approach. And, and really, U-Science in its entirety walks an individual from middle school all the way through career. And so at its core is this idea of how do we how do we engage an individual so that they are building towards the individualized success that they need and want. And that's not just about following your passions, because, you know, as a young person in particular, you know, we all wanted to be actors or actresses or sports stars or yeah. you know, musical people, you know, so. It, and we can't all do that. It's great that there are people that do, but we can't all do that. So there's this deeper level of connecting from a very young age to career, the pieces that need to go together. And so you science helps do that. And the way that we start that is through an aptitude based uh, guidance system that really looks at the deep person of who you are and while we do take into effect uh, or to account the interests of an individual, we recognize that the interests of a young person to, to what you just described are so dependent on their surroundings and their environment and what they've been exposed to um, that it skews wildly the perceptions of what's possible for an individual. Aptitudes, however, we really focus on those because it goes deeper. It gets into who you are naturally, what are your inherent talents, and how can we try to link those to something in your future? And so that something in your future is the pathways of education that lead to a career. Um, and then along that path, as we get students into the proper pathways for them, they're what we call the best fit pathways. Then we start to deliver uh, certifications and programs to validate what they're doing. And for a young person, that starts a tremendous cycle of success, right? They, they find something that they're naturally inherently good at. They start to get into a pathway with other people that are similar to them, have those same likes and interests and, and deep seated uh, capabilities. Their educator partner, so the teacher that's involved with them, also is in that same mindset. So if you get into a pathway, a uh, career pathway, that's indicative of the fact that that teacher likes that same thing that you do. So you naturally build this relationship with your instructors. And then you start doing the assignments and they come naturally to you instead of clunky to you. And all of a sudden you get this upward spiral of success that then leads to a career later on. And so we're able to see that in full progression with what we do. I, I'm curious, and, and there may be one question, there may be two questions packed into this one. So you, you can pull them apart as makes sense. But I'm curious, you know, it sounds like interests are very malleable in some sense. How malleable are aptitudes? Are they different from strengths? Like, how do you think about sort of this conversation of personality and traits and interests and aptitudes and strengths? What, what, what's fixed? What's malleable? How do they connect to each other? 
Yeah, great question. You know, so interests are, are, let's start there because they're the easier one to describe really quickly. Interests are just what you've been exposed to. So you can have an interest, again, to use the, the common example of, of arts and entertainment because it surrounds us, right? So we're always looking at these different arts. And, and if you inter, interview young people now, one of the growing careers that they want to be a part of is in a, an influencer, right? So an online right. influencer, yeah. because that's what they're exposed to. And, but there's so much more there for an individual. So aptitudes, a, a really great way to describe it is it's like, uh, using your dominant or non-dominant hand, right? So I'm right-handed. So when I use my right hand to write with and to, you know, to paint with or whatever I do, it comes much more naturally to me. And I'm able to build on that in a great way. When I use my non-dominant hand, I can still do a lot of the things that I can do with my dominant hand, but it now feels clunky to me. It feels out of sync. So in the academic sense or the way we look at it from, you know, strengths versus uh, interests versus other things is uh, an, an aptitude of mine might be sequential reasoning. The skills that are associated with that might be accountancy, for example. But accountancy is is that it's a skill that's developed. And by developing, I can develop that talent or that skill over time and get better and better and better at that. And aptitude, while it can be refined over time, it gets imprinted on us at a very young age. So when do we find out our aptitudes and how malleable are they? What the science has proven is that aptitudes uh, are something that get fixed around uh, as you pass through puberty. And they actually don't change very much from that point through adulthood. Interests, however, change constantly, especially for young people, right? And so up until that point of, of going through, you know, that adolescence phase, the malleableness of that isn't, it's not changing, it's just developing in you. So I, I think that's another good way to look at it. Uh, the great thing is, is though, that as we've understood aptitudes better and better is that they don't change um, over time. Um, you can get better with some things that your your natural aptitudes uh, guide you towards. But again, they don't change per se. So that's a real strength in looking at the world through that. The one last thing that I think I'd mention in, in response to your question is how we evaluate those different things. So personality mm -hmm. tests that a lot of people will associate with aptitudes. They're generally, or an interest survey, the same type of thing. They're generally self-respondent. So they're surveys. And as an individual, I'm saying, do I like this better? Do I like that better? Do I do this well? Do I not do that well? Do you know? And, and so it's this value judgment that you're making yourself. Aptitudes, we actually use a series of brain games that are more like a traditional test. It is trying to find out who you are. And so the judgment call of your environment, your surroundings, your self biases, those kind of go away. And you're left with this, this core kernel, if you will, that's at the heart of who you are. And so that's a, a, another difference between those.
It's incredibly helpful. I'm, I, and I think it weaves into the next question. You, you answered a few things that were on my mind in your answer there, which was terrific. Um, I'm curious then, you know, as you think about the assessment that you're able to give, it sounds like as early as middle school, then when someone's sort of gone through that early adolescence period, these aptitudes start to become fixed. How, how does your assessment, like how did you build it to be valid and reliable through these brain games? How does it compare to maybe other things out there in the market? Pymetrics is something that occurs to me that maybe is, is maybe similar. I'm curious your, your take on that. Um, or, you know, something like Strengths Finder is certainly not brain games uh, to play into that, but maybe hits at some of the same ideas that it's trying to pull apart. So how would you sort of situate it, I guess, in, in, in those that, that mosaic of other options out there? Yeah. And how did you de- how did you develop the validity and reliability over time? Yeah, let me take that last part first because that's easy one. It's the aptitudes um, have been studied for a long time, just like interests have been and other tools. So the science behind aptitudes is not new. Uh, the basis of the the aptitudes that aptitude assessments that we use were created from the Ball Foundation, which has been studying uh, aptitudes for generations now. And so they, they're really very expert at that. And uh, the science that goes all behind that without getting into all of that depth, but those have been around for a long time. And, and so this, the science is well-founded as it is with interest surveys and personality surveys as well. So the science behind all those is, again, very well documented and and there's great programs for all. One thing that I do want to just make mention of is as I make the differences between aptitudes and interests, it's not to say that one is better than the other. It's that they are used. They need to be used for the right reasons and the right purposes. And especially for young people where they don't understand their interests fully and those are changing so dramatically, you have to get to a deeper place of understanding so that you can properly guide them to the opportunities that they have in the future. So some of the comparisons that you've used are some of the examples of other tools. Uh, There are interest surveys, right, that we've talked about. There are personality surveys. And then there's some of these that are getting kind of in the blend of the middle. And that's kind of where I put a Pymetrics in that kind of realm. What we do is we look at it in kind of two segments, uh, if you are three segments. We'll look at the aptitudes. We do do an interest uh, survey as well. And we actually combine those through some proprietary algorithms so that an individual can look at all three of those side by side. They can look at their interests, how they lined up there. They can look at how their aptitudes uh, result in the types of careers that they would be looking at. And then they can look at that blended solution as well because interests are incredibly important in all of that. You want somebody who's passionate about what they're doing, but their skill sets, their inherent aptitudes again, maybe in something that is not related with what they're thinking. So it's a good, simple example of that is in healthcare, right? I may have this very strong desire to work with people and, and I want to help, you know, these individuals get better in different ways. So that might be a natural pull, but my bedside manner, you know, my natural inclinations are not there to be a people person or, you know, there might be a lot of other things that are going on. 
but I could still be a part of the healthcare industry if I was much more aligned to being an engineer. And now I can combine those two great things about who I am, my passion for helping people and my abilities to be a great engineer. And I might be a mechanical engineer that comes up with new ways of, of helping an individual with the prosthetic, for example, right? And I, I'm just picking examples. But now I can combine all of that into something that becomes incredibly fulfilling for me as an individual and helps me grow through that period of time. Makes a ton of sense. It's super helpful walking us through this. Um, it's also, I think, speaks to something larger, frankly, which is an education principle. Sometimes people get very excited about interest-based education following a student's interests. And there's something to that, right? And there's something to assuming that when a child is young, <laughs> they might not know what they're interested in yet and that they can get sparked by lots of different questions and topics that you as the educator get to expose them to, uh, to, to introduce and see where they pull on that strand, so to speak, because you never quite know where it'll, it, it'll, it'll lead if you're thoughtful uh, about that. Um, you know, so I, I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, if I could really quick, I think that's a really important thing. I mean, we've all experienced this to a degree where you have that one teacher, uh, you know, that you just whatever the subject was, they were just that teacher that you resonated with. And, and to your words, sparked something in you. And all of a sudden you get this interest and you feel like that's where you want to go. And then years later, you end up going through college and all this program and you come to realize, man, I really don't like this, right? Yeah I, yeah. I enjoy it, but it's not fulfilling to me in the way that I thought it would be. And that's part of the problem is that, you know, we've all heard that that saying, do something you love and you'll never work a day in your life, right? Well, that's to a degree that's true. But if you pick something that that you did, you had a passion for, but it wasn't where your strengths were, then you're going to struggle with that all of your life, or you're not going to make good income out of that. Or, you know, there's all different aspects of that. You know, the, the, there's always that, that joke about doctors or dentists where they decided to go down this road. It's a great paying profession, but you have these, these doctors or dentists that are making tons of money and they hate their lives. Yep. yep. And, and that's, but then you have the other extreme where you have these people that found that and now they, they love every minute of it. And it's yep. so clear when you go and visit those, those people, right? You love going to certain dentists, you hate going to other ones, right? No. And, and you raise a really important point and why I think what you're doing is so important because you're in, in my language, you're connecting that supply and demand side, right? What I want to do as an individual with what is actually out there and what my day to day will actually look like yeah. if I go down that road and helping me as an individual to sort of surface a lot more information a lot earlier before, you know, if, if you go to medical school, the way we've constructed it now, anyway, that that's a multi-year journey with a lot of investment and fixed cost before you even get to figure out, is this the right career? Unless you've taken some of these steps up front, which I think weaves into where I want to go next, which is digging a little bit more into what the student and educator experience look like, because on the surface, you know, on, on the, on the latter piece, right? Like I can imagine as an individual, me getting a ton out of what you've built, um, the educator side, I'm curious how that gets used and what that looks like. So, so maybe take us into 
the use case itself. Uh, and, and then maybe we can jump into the, uh, you know, you've done some work in, in Utah. We can maybe hit that next, but let's start sort of describing the experience first before we go there. Yeah, you bet. The One of the ways that I like to look at it is kind of a backwards hourglass. So, you know, a normal hourglass has the two big sides that are, I guess, upside down, right? And then you go into the middle and it gets constrained and then it opens back up. For an individual, a student, especially a young one, and, and it becomes really clear when you start putting this into populations where their opportunities for exposure are more limited. Um, but they're starting from a very constrained point. They don't know what's available to them out there in the market. Uh, their exposure is, is really about what's around them. Do they have uncles, aunts, parents, uh, neighbors that do these certain types of jobs? And so their vision is really constrained. So one of our goals uh, right out of the gate is to try to open up the aperture of that, give them exposure to the different types of things that are available, but not just random things. And this is the critical piece is giving them things that are relatable to them inherently. So through these aptitudes and saying, hey, you know what, you have this aptitude to do these different types of careers. Have you even ever considered that before? And by the way, the data is just astronomical here. And we'll talk about that in some of these uh, findings that we published very recently. But it opens up this world to them. And then over time, we're able to start closing that back down and helping them focus on areas that they want to be, uh, that they really want to go into and they really want to be guided towards. So that's kind of the view from the student side is having this narrow perspective, opening that perspective to something larger, and then guiding them down the road of being more specific with their future. For the educator, this is tremendously helpful because to date, all they've been able to do is ask a student, what do you like to do? And it's pretty easy to get to that information. In fact, I was talking to a counselor just last week and she said, you know, I am so tired of having a student come into my office to have this career exploration opportunity and to guide them towards different classes. And I asked them, you know, what what do you what do you want to do? What do you like? And having the students sit there and say, I don't know. Right. And, and, and they because yeah, yeah. they legitimately don't. And she's like, so then it just becomes a class picking exercise rather than a guidance exercise. And she said. I didn't come into this profession to just guide students into classes or, you know, and randomly help them pick those. I came to help them develop into who they were meant to be. And she said, now what I'm able to do is I can sit down with this tool and in, in minutes I can have this conversation with them. Hey, let's pull up your aptitude results and look at the different careers that are associated with those. All right, we sit down, we do that for a second. Great. Which ones of these seem interesting to you based on who you are now? And it's ranking these, these types of careers for them. Then they can have that conversation about, okay, does our school have this program? If not, how can you get uh, to go into programs in the local community college that offers articulated agreements with the high school? Um, you know, how can you go to a different high school even to get those things? Or let's start building on what we do have here at our school and see how we can start expanding your horizons into something greater. And now all of a sudden the conversation just becomes this flowing 
information about what's possible for you in a directed, personalized sense. The other aspect, because you asked about the student and the and the educator, but the other aspect's the parent here. You know, I think any of us that have children that are of, of this age, right, this kind of high school age, we know that no, even as good as we think we know them, they're different than who we actually believe they are, right? Sure, yeah. And the, the stories that come out of parents after having gone through uh, the results of the aptitude assessments with their students, their kids, is they're they're remarkable. They'll just come back time and time again. I didn't know my my kid had these capabilities. I didn't know that this was even possible to them. You know, and and even we think about you know the it's very stereotypical, well-educated family, very involved family that that is surrounding their kids. When you really ask the parents, do you know what opportunities are out there for your student? They don't know. Totally. They don't know what educational paths are available. They don't know what career paths are available. And they don't have a great idea of what jobs are out there either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so you're able to start to surface that in some meaningful ways. Talk us through, you know, you, you had this case study that you recently released from, from Utah. You have some data around this. Talk to us about what you're able to actually do for these students. Because, And just to editorialize for one sec, what you just said is 100% right. Again, the parents are confined <laughs> based on their own experiences, the people that they know, their social capital and so forth. And so you can't see pathways that you haven't you know, yourself been intentionally in some way exposed to or curated for you and so forth. And it, it's one of the big challenges, I think, of students choosing college or career uh, is, is, you know, in, unless they've had this intentional process up front, it, there's, there's more luck involved than actually, I could prototype this, right, before I actually have to make the decision. So, I, so I'm doing it from a place of experience as opposed to a, a good or service I've never before hired. Yeah, absolutely. And that shows in the results of what's happening in education today, right? Well-intentioned educators that are trying to do the very best they can on both the high school and on the, uh, the secondary and the post-secondary side. But the results are kind of dismal. You know, the dropout rates are through the roof in post-secondary. Uh, one of the most fascinating studies was done, you know, by the Federal Reserve of New York, where they found that of four-year college degree holders, only 27% of those individuals were, would ever work in a field related to their, their majors that they actually studied and got their mm-hmm. degrees in. That's, that's abysmal. And when you really break that down, that's, that's about 10% or less of the total population. And so when you think about all the time and energy that's spent there, there's got to be a better way of helping find that, 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 area of, of expertise earlier rather than waiting clear until the end and just pushing people through. So going to, you know, what we found in Utah is just one example of this, of, of kind of how this plays out. In middle schools. so when you look at the differences between males and females and you look at then also what they're interested in versus what they have the aptitudes for as one example. So across the country, there is a huge need for computer scientists uh, manufacturing individuals that are interested in those areas. So in Utah, middle school females had 11 times more aptitude for a career in computer science than they had the interest in. Huh. So think about that. 
a young woman who has all of the skills and capabilities to go into this one particular field. Uh, if you only look at what she's exposed to and her personal interests and all the stereotypes and biases that she brings to her own perspective, she will miss out on those opportunities, even though she has the total capabilities to accomplish those things. And so we never even guide them to the, towards those programs, because if you just ask them, what do you like? That young woman, very stereotypically, will say, I'm interested in nursing. I'm interested in social sciences or social services, which are all very worthwhile, right? Sure. But, but very closing off a set of doors before even had a crack at it. Yeah. You know, my own daughter went through this process and she came back to me. She she is one of those, again, uh, very stereotypical kind of young women. She 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 loved helping people. That was who she was. You know, and so as her parent, um, uh, I started saying, OK, yeah, let's go down this medical road or something like that. She, when she did the aptitude test, um, information systems, computer science were some of her top suggested careers. And she kind of looked at that and she was embarrassed by it. And she didn't want to go and explore that because in her mind, she said, that's not who I am. That's my brother. Right. Huh. And she, you know, and she kind of separated that out. So she goes into college and starts pursuing some of these other types of degrees. And, and thankfully, even though she had this, this data there for her, she was forced to take an information systems class as part of her major. And she absolutely loved it. And she fell in love with it. And she came wow. to me about halfway through that class, through that semester. And she said, Dad, I'm so embarrassed because I've been pushing back against this. And I can see it firsthand now that my aptitudes are like coming out and I've never seen her happier in school than I have in the last That's awesome. couple of years as she's chosen this as her new major information systems. I, I don't want to make you bury the lead. So you all putting this system into, you know, schools and so forth, what's the sort of impact you can change on the trajectories of lots of individuals, lots of women, others who maybe have that, you know, subconscious or unconscious or maybe conscious bias working on them and not looking at certain uh, fields that they would be great fits for able to make a contribution. Tell us sort of spin the story forward a little bit. How are you able to change those trajectories for individuals? Yeah. So I, I'll use another example here locally. Um, and by the way, we're all throughout the entire nation and we, we do this all across the country. Um, I live in Utah. And so I have some very personal experiences here. But there was a school uh, just north from us that their counselor had given the, the aptitude assessments to all of their students. And they uh, just, again, just like so many across the country, they had enrollments in their computer science classes and their manufacturing classes and other technology fields that were very skewed, male versus female. And so what they did is in their reporting, they have the capability to look at who has the aptitudes and the interests and see that, you know, the crossovers or where there might be the gaps. And so they went and identified all of the young women in the school who had the aptitudes to go into these types of careers. And so they proactively went to the young women that, that fit that, 
that grouping and said, hey, there's a local conference here that uh, is called SheTech. It's a fantastic conference that brings uh, women who are in technology fields together. And, you know, it's a great, a great event. Would you like to go to that event uh, and we'll sponsor it as a school? Every single young woman, now that could have been just because they wanted to get out of school, but every single young woman they approached said yes, that they would go. And the next semester, their enrollments for young women in those classes jumped by over 50%, um, wow. just like that. Wow. Very easy, very simple intervention, but it's just that opportunity to say, hey, so-and-so, in my case, my daughter, Lily, you you have these capabilities. Did you even know that? That's yeah. awesome. And look right. at the types of companies who who want you to be involved in that. That's awesome. And yeah. It's such a positive message that you know. For the first time in a lot of kids' lives, they're being told. And let me go back. We use grading systems constantly in the school systems, which are understandable. But they're they are. Are you good enough, or are you not? And so often, yeah, and we're not good enough. So for the first time, we're able to go without hesitation. You just look at somebody's aptitudes and you are able to go and say, you are awesome and you can be awesome at these things. That's an empowering thing. And so many kids throughout the world have never been told that before. And so when you start to change the paradigm a little bit and show them their capabilities and their possibilities, their own minds start to take off. And what we also do is we actually have a system where, where businesses can come into our system and tell the students what aptitudes they're looking for and how that relates to careers. And so in the system, the students can then connect the dots between here are the, here's my aptitudes, here's my skills, here's the careers that are associated with that, and here's local businesses that actually are are looking for individuals in that area. And now I've connected the dots all the way from middle school, all the way to career. And and that just, again, it just fires off so many different synapses for an individual student. Yeah, I was so struck by when I started researching y'all and learning just how you go so far beyond the assessment and even just servicing the options, how you pull that connective tissue through, make the certifications available, the, the actual demand in the, in the labor market and so forth. Edson, as we wrap up, I, I have two more questions. One, I'm going to flash up here from an audience member around, uh, you know, he's curious, David Arenthal, what resistance you're finding in higher ed uh, or other career channels. So I'll let you answer that. And then I've got one more before we wrap up. So we're not finding resistance at all, actually. Um, as you've seen in the in higher ed, especially over the last two years, the system of higher ed is starting to, to break apart. And this, this idea of just getting kids in for the sake of getting them in everybody's starting to realize that's not working. And you look at the dropout rates and, and colleges know that just as well as the rest of the population. And it's, it's a big concern for them. And they want, it's in their best financial interest to keep students in, you know, in their institutions. So what they're finding is if we can identify the proper programs, so forget about which schools, but find the proper programs for the individuals then they persist at much higher rates. 
And so the, the higher ed institutions are starting to embrace this. And it's actually what we're finding is it's being looked at as a way of, of entrance instead of entrance exams, now looking at entrance mechanisms to identify the right programs for students because that's a better indicator of, of potential success in higher ed than anything else. It's interesting, just two reflections, and then I lied. We're going to do one more audience question because it's an interesting one. But the, uh, the, the just two reflections. One, it seems that you can really actually help combat people's worries about making these filtering or, or, or choices, you know, stu having students make these choices early in their academic careers and maybe saying, four-year college is not the right path for me. I'd rather go X. People's historical worries about that is that I'll filter based on race or gender or things like that, right? You can overcome that through this system and be much more based on who I am as an individual as opposed to these biased um, uh, uh, so so sorts of questions, uh, it seems to me. The second uh, thing that occurs to me is what you just said, which is I would love to see us move from a system that is sorting based on a very narrow set of criteria, just, you know, academic grades and test scores along very narrow heuristics. Uh, as President Joseph Ayun of Northeastern said to us the other day, moving to a system of higher ed that's not just diverse, but actually differentiated <laughs> based yes. on the programs that they offer and, and really leaning into what makes them uh, unique. And it seems like you all can start to help with that. Th this weaves into the Last question I'll ask, just from um, John Fennell, you know, assistant to a community college president in Mississippi, he says, uh, can this be integrated, what, what you're offering, U-Science, into a college webpage, and can the data collected by questionnaire be collected by higher ed for analysis? Yeah, so the college webpage, I think it's, uh, we don't do a lot of that, like we don't have a white label, if you will, where we're put it into the system, but putting it and making it available for college students across the board where it's easily accessible, absolutely. And it's being done across the country in all sorts of post-secondary institutions right now. A great story that's on our website that I just love is one of the HBCUs in the country, one of only 11 technical college HBCUs, uh, Denmark Technical College uh, in South Carolina, now uses it for every single incoming student to help them find their better path. And they're having tremendous, tremendous success with it Phenomenal. in a very remote part of, of South Carolina and helping students. And the persistence rates are growing tremendously since they've started to implement that. Um, and so implementing it into the post-secondary institutions is, is actually at the one of the hearts of what we're trying to work on and do. And being able to accomplish that is, is near and dear to our heart. What we're finding is that as the post-secondary institutions are implementing it, just as fast as the secondary institutions, they're able to come together in better ways to now help with equity and diversity issues like they've never been able to do before. Because Michael, like you said earlier, you're no longer looking at separations based on what type of education you got. You know, there's always an academic element of going to post-secondary institutions, but now we can really look at that separation based on what's the best fit for you, right? How do we get you into something that's going to drive your particular success? And that changes the game for individuals. We've all heard the stories, for example, of that student who didn't do very well in math 
and then they get into a job in construction or manufacturing and now they're doing complex math right because it's part of their job and it's part of what they love to do and i think we'll find more and more of that over the years as this gets more and more embedded into the systems because people will love what they're studying and what they're trying to drive towards regardless of what post-secondary level it is and they know that it's driving towards a successful career for them and so they'll naturally want to learn the things that they haven't done in the past super informative edson thanks for joining us i know we went longer than we originally anticipated but it's just such an interesting and important topic that touches on so many uh, important strands and struggles that real educators have uh, on the ground and, and students are struggling with as well and parents so I appreciate you being here. For those watching, I, a couple of you messaged me and said, having some video issues on LinkedIn or, or wherever else, this will be available afterwards on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook. So, you you know, there'll be multiple ways you can re-engage uh, with the content that uh, Edson shared with us today. And uh, for all you listening, just give it a thumbs up. Other people can find it uh, as well. And Edson, thank you so much for what you're doing and for, uh, you know, helping break it down and explain, uh, you know, the benefits and the logic behind uh, what you've created. Really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. And thank you for your time and for what you're doing of bringing these issues to the forefront. Yeah, we're really doing some, some great work between lots of great educators and passionate people in the industry. It's wonderful stuff. And we'll be back next time with that on in the future of education. Thanks so much.